Medical Monday is proudly brought to you with the compliments of Discam. Pharmacists who care. And good morning to you. Thank you so much for choosing 101.9 High FM and especially for choosing this Discam Medical Monday. My name is Kathy Kaler and I will be your host for the next hour. So hopefully you'll be able to stay with me for the, for the length of, uh, of this program. How often do we look back on our lives and think, well, you know what, if I had known better, if I had done differently, I would, things would be different now. You know, I know that if I look back to my my early teens when I picked up a cigarette for the first time, that if there was a moment, a single moment in time that I could change, that would be it because uh, addiction is no joke. And uh, that would have been an absolute game changer for me. So that's, you know, looking back, we make decisions that have a tremendous impact on our future. And... Uh, I've invited into studio Richard Sutton. He's uh, no stranger to Chai FM, but uh, if you are just tuning in for the first time, welcome. And uh, let me tell you a little bit about Richard. He's a member of the International Association of Healthcare Professionals. He's a clinically trained neurovascular practitioner, and he's got um, a background in biokinesiology, meaning that he works with live energy around your body. He has also consulted to some of the world's top athletes. I'll tell you a little bit about that in a minute. But um, yeah, he's uh, he really takes very much a, a problem-solving approach. Now, I think, Richard, um, I think a game-changer for you was when you were working with tennis player Tommy Haas. Very much so, you know. Um, it's, first of all, it's, it's great to be here. Welcome uh, back. <laughs> it's, so, it's so great. I've been <laughs> really busy, but um, I'm glad uh, things have slowed down a little bit, so I could be here today. Um, yes, yeah, so so working with uh, at the time I think it was ranked two or three in the world. Um, he there were some challenges that he was confronting health wise, and those challenges propelled me into finding solutions. And thank God I was able to find the right solutions and and not only move his career forward but my career as well. Yeah, and it really it was a game changer because you you seem to have adopted that approach with all of your clients. Uh, I just want to I want to tell you that. Uh, Richard was also the athletic director for the 28th or the 29th Olympic Games for the Chinese National Olympic Team based out of China. He was also uh, the therapist to the People's Republic of China's Fed Cup team and Davis Cup team based out. He, he works with top athletes, sports people around the world, including in South Africa. You do the local teams as well. Yeah, very much so. I've done my time in Springbok rugby. I've I know you hate time. going through all of this, but I just <laughs> no, no. I just want to, you know, I, I feel a lot of nachos. So I want to tell Thank our listeners you. more about you. So, yes, um, I've done my time in, in local sport, um, Springbok rugby. Uh, I was uh, looked after one of our captains on a, a very, you know, uh, personal level. Um, I've also worked with some of our Olympic swimmers and and Kevin Anderson. And Hello, yes, Kevin he's Anderson's your guy. A, a client of mine, <laughs> and uh, he's done exceptionally well over the last twelve months. Yes, you he know, has. two Grand Slam finals. I'm really proud of him. And yeah, uh, yeah, he's he's my one of my South African athletes that I work with. Amazing, and you really do work with a lot. So uh, let's talk a little bit about the choices we make that determine our future. Because as I understand it. Um, it's never too late, firstly. And secondly, that we can there are 
definitely choices that we make that shape our future, um, especially where our health is concerned. Now, if you want to, if you want to get in touch with Richard, if you want to ask any questions, then this is how you get in touch with me. Um, you can send through an SMS with your questions, your comment, weigh in on the conversation, and uh, that number is 34519. You can also send a telegram if you have uh, the Telegram app, and that number is 061-895-1019. So, uh, yeah, you can email on air at highfm.com. You can also uh, you can tweet at highfm. C-H-A-I-F-M And that's how you get in touch um, Yeah, Richard doesn't take on new clients Are you, are you still holding by that? Well, on a one-on-one <laughs> on a one-on-one level I, I, I'm, I've never heard that before I'm, but it I'm just a little bit limited you. in terms of time But, yes. I, but I do, do take on new projects in the corporate space Okay, alright So uh, this is your time to access this incredibly powerful mind And, uh, and his expertise so uh, make a note of those numbers. If you miss them, get to the website, highfm.com. All right, Richard, let's start with choices we choices. make in the past that have an impact now and the choices that we are making now that will have an impact in the future because those are the ones that we can change. So, I mean, the theme today is really health choices. <laughs> and a lot of people say, can they really make that much of a difference? Can changing your diet impact your life? And it brings me back to a story I was – it was early in my career, it was around 2004, 2005, I was um, at the U.S. Open and I made friends with uh, a particular team of, of a tennis player with his physio, with his coaches. And I used to go out a lot with them. And it was the most remarkable experience because this, this player was so talented, one of the most talented players on the tour, yet he couldn't realize his potential within this context. He would never survive a full match. Um, his endurance was compromised. His temperament was poor. Uh, he, he struggled on a health level. He was always sick, always injured. And it was quite frustrating because here you've got all this, this, this wealth of potential, but just not, no capacity to access it. And it took a couple of years until his potential was realized. Um, he met with a functional medicine practitioner um, who identified certain issues in his diet, um, removed gluten from his diet. Uh, they also changed the structure of his diet, more natural foods, less chemicals. Um, the timing of meals was more precise, you know, less carbohydrates at night, more protein in the, you know, at night and more carbohydrates in the day. And there was a whole reorganization, even taking certain nutrients and supplements. And uh, this all took place in about 2010. Within 11 months, this player was number one in the world. Hmm. It was Novak Djokovic, who just actually won Wimbledon. Incredible. And uh, we go back a long way, and I've just seen the evolution of this player. And he, he's written a book, How the Changing His Diet Changed His Career. And I think that that's a, a great benchmark for all of us, you know, that, that it is possible. Here you're looking at someone at the highest level. You're one of the greatest number ones in history, the highest level of professional sport, saying that, it was the change in my lifestyle, the change in my diet that actually propelled me to this, this great success. If you, you know, potential is a strange thing. You know, what, what is the definition of potential? It's the capacity to become or develop into something in the future. And where does the potential lie in essence? It lies in our intellect, in our brain. It's our consciousness, our thoughts, our memories, our skill, our personality. All potential in the human body boils down to our brain. That's, that's the interesting fundamentally. Yet the brain is the most compromised region of the human body. Why? I'm going to explain why. And this is according to the Society for Neuroscience. 
They say that a billion people currently on the planet are suffering from a neurological disorder or disease. That's one in seven individuals globally have oh. issues with their brain, and the brain is the seat of potential. We're starting to see a problem um, emerge here. If you start looking at industrialized nations, so I'm going to take the EU, Europe. You're looking at 179 million people are currently diagnosed with at least one brain disorder. It's costing the EU's medical system 798 billion euros every single year. Okay, just stop right there. What do you mean by brain disorder? So when I'm referring to brain disorder, it's a broad spectrum. So it could start off as depression and anxiety. It could manifest in MS or multiple sclerosis. You know, it's, so it's a very broad spectrum um, when I say brain disorders. But if you put them all within one umbrella term as neurological brain disorder, you're looking at one in three people in Europe currently have a neurological disease wow. or disorder. Which wow. is, there was actually an article that was published in the journal Neuron uh, two, three years ago. And what, what stood out for me in this, this particular article was actually the summary um, of the article. And it ends, the, the conclusion of this incredible uh, journal article was that brain diseases are an unquestionable emergencies and a grand challenge for neuroscientists. Now, the interesting thing about brain disorders, now I just want to get back to where's our potential lies in our brain, yet it's the most threatened region of the human body and disorders becoming more and more prevalent. So the interesting thing about – this is according to World Health Organization, by the way – is that neurological disorders now account for more hospitalizations and lost productivity than all other disease groups combined. <laughs> so if I take global statistics for, as I said, depression is a neurological disorder, and, and depression is very much in the media at the moment. We've got the suicide at, at UCT, yeah, which is so sad. We've got celebrity suicide. And, and so much to live for. I know, I know. And it's become a real burden on society. According to the World Health Organization, the global statistics for lost productivity due to exclusively depression, this is lost productivity, what they can account for, is every single year the world economy is losing 75 million working days because of depression. And if we highlight, we, we put the spotlight on developed nations, we're looking at in the top five, three of the top five disorders that are manifesting in lost productivity to organizations, three of the top five, on neurological diseases. <laughs> if I just like try and summarize dep depression, you know, a lot of people will assume, you know, I have a bad day, I'm depressed. Not necessarily. To be diagnosed with depression, it, it, the diagnosis, you know, the official diagnosis is it's a recurrent mental disease that is characterized by episodes of reduced mood and interest that persists for at least 14 days. So basically, if you're depressed, half the month, you're right If you're in a bad mood for 14 days or you're more, depressed. you're depressed. Technically, really? you're depressed. Absolutely. That's the, that's the criteria. But, mo I mean, most of us, so we go, we have good days, we have bad days, but it's not persistent. So that would be the umbrella definition. It could also be circumstantial, though. Very, you very know, much so. Somebody's having a, a bad relationship t a time in one of their relationships. It, it could be that you're in a Very much so. And, and, and those type of stresses are a big, a big driver. In fact, the interesting thing about depression is there's been a series of articles that have, that have come out, uh, journal articles, on looking at the cause, the root cause of depression. Because for many years it's been thought that depression is exclusively a neurochemical imbalance. But what these articles are saying is that it's not necessarily a neurochemical imbalance. That imbalance is caused by an inflammatory disorder. So inflammation is at the root of depression. And I want to come back to this theme, inflammation, because it's, it's very much a, 
you know, along the con- or along the lines of what I want to talk to uh, you know, you know, the, the listeners today about is is what causes inflammation in the body. But just to summarize, the root cause of depression, according to a lot of the literature now, is inflammation. inflammation. Um, and I'm going to get into what causes inflammation in the body a little bit later. But let's let's just switch our attention to another major issue at the moment, and that is dementia and Alzheimer's. Huge. According to the World Alzheimer Report in 2015. Every 3.2 seconds, someone is being diagnosed with dementia or Alzheimer's in the world at the moment. Every 3.2 seconds. So I've been talking for, what, 15 minutes now? Yeah. Uh, you, you know, so, I mean, that's, that's, that's quite substantial. But if you just look at, okay, so we, we look at dementia and Alzheimer's. At the moment, the current um, diagnosis, uh, global diagnosis, 46.8 million people. But what's scary about dementia is that it, the, the statistics are doubling every 20 years. It's not an incremental increase. It's an explosion every 20 years. Parkinson's, another major neurological disease. According to the European Parkinson's Disease Association, at least 6.3 million people have been diagnosed with Parkinson's. It's not easy to diagnose Parkinson's. Depression at the moment is affecting at least 350 people globally, uh, 350 million people globally. According to the Center of Disease Control, autism is now, or, or the you know kids on the spectrum is now on the rise. They say that one in 68 children have are on the spectrum have have some form of autism, and that that's the official data. I mean, there are some reports where it's much higher than that, which is quite scary. The World Health Organization says that psychiatric illness is the third leading disease burden globally. And then something I think that we can all identify with is is ADHD, you know, just paying attention um, at work or, or paying attention in, in social situations. Um, ADHD is on the rise. We're looking at almost 5% of adults now um, ha- have been officially diagnosed with ADHD. And at the moment, you know, 12% of our children are, are currently sitting uh, or being are diagnosed with with. ADHD. So, Richard, when we when we talk about these statistics and and the increases of these of these illnesses of these disorders of whatever it may be, is it because our diagnostics are getting better, or is it because people are getting sicker? I think it's a combination of factors, and I think one you, you, that's a great point that you raise, and I think our diagnostics is a lot better. Um, I also think that we have an aging population. Um, so we've living got, longer exactly right. so and that's a greater age population and that certainly would contribute to the figures um, but there is a sharp rise and it and it and it supersedes diagnostics and it supersedes the data that we could extrapolate from an aging population so i think it is a problem that is on the rise and if you just compare you know the global stats you know undeveloped countries, developed countries, and, and we, we're seeing a, the prevalence, the hotspots at the moment on the developed nations um, in terms of the neurological burdens. And there's multiple reasons for this. I'd say that there's four primary drivers in why neurological diseases are so prevalent in this day and age. And the first has to do with diet, believe it or not. You know, so diet, um, one of the big factors is the bacterial colonies that reside in our gut. Their integrity, their structure, their function really has a big um, effect on our on our health and our well-being, and especially on a neurological level, which I'm going to expand on. High sugar diets, very inflammatory provoking. High carbohydrate diets, inflammatory provoking. We're suffering from major nutrient deficiencies because of farming practices, because of food storage. We're looking at a diet. You know, can I can I just give you a sure. stat on that? Um, the world, um, I don't know. It's it's the World Health. No, it's the United Nations Agency for Agriculture. Um, they said that the world has 60 
1.60 harvests left. Wow. By 2080, the planet will be out of food. Wow, that is because because we don't rest the land, and because of the stress that's being put on the soil, we're losing something like uh, twelve acres a day. Wow, that Crazy is that enough. is just ridiculous. Staggering. Staggering. Um, just 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 getting back to that um, yes. to lighten the mood. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so we were looking at fi- diets today are, are very low in fiber, um, and our health is dependent on high fiber diets. Omega-3 fatty acids are not very prevalent in our diets anymore. We eat too much. We drink too much. Um, so those are the, the primary drivers. We also have other drivers like, you know, we don't exercise as much. Uh, what When we do exercise, we don't exercise correctly. Um, we're sitting at work all day. Our lifestyles are exceptionally uh, sedentary. Other factors um, outside of the activity include our environment. So the the amount of stress we're exposed to is a big contributing factor. Electromagnetic fields, pollution, lack of sunlight, overuse of medications. These are all factors that are also contributing to this. And then lastly, just the aging process itself contributes to a decline in neurological integrity and function. You know, It's it's so interesting to speak to because (laughs) you connect dots that nobody else does. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> no, but it's but it's true. I mean, when you said that um, that there's a, the nerve, I can't. I can never. The vagus nerve. I'll, I'll the go vagu- into it a little right, bit. The today. vagus nerve between your stomach and your brain. You know that uh, it's a nerve. So if you're not eating correctly, it will have an impact on your brain. It, it, and I'll explain why. Yeah. It's just coming up in a few minutes. Okay. Very good. Stay tuned <laughs> because that's not all. <laughs> and so so you know you know a couple of thousand years ago, Hippocrates says all disease begins in the gut and. He was right in many respects. A lot of the issues that we're currently confronted with today is are related to the digestive tract. But what he didn't mention is that all potential also resides in the digestive tract. And I'm going to tell you how and why. But in order to understand it, you have to just understand a little bit. I've, I've, on a previous show or two, I've actually gone into a little bit of detail here. Okay, one uh, second. I just want yes. to reply to Cassie. Cassie says, uh, hi, hi, fam. I have to run to my lecture, Neuroscience. Isn't that amazing, nice? Amazing, amazing. Um, where can I find a podcast of this very relevant and interesting Medical Monday? So uh, just get to com. You can also get to uh, Richard Sutton's uh, website, yeah, which is yeah I should Health. put it up there a little yeah, bit later, Sutton yeah. Health. There you go, suttonhealth.co.za. Okay, so so just getting into as to why um, diet has so much relevant, uh, relevance in our functionality, one has to understand the digestive tract itself. I mean, it's ab- absolutely miraculous. So the digestive tract, you, we, we're looking at a structure that's nine meters long. If you have to open it you know, completely flat out and, and lay it end to end, it's the largest surface area of the body. It actually measures up to 200 square meters. It's two flats in Israel. That's <laughs> <laughs> or maybe six flats in Israel, depending on where you live. It also produces 20 different hormones, which is quite remarkable. We only produce around 60 hormones. So that's a third of the hormones that are used and produced in the body are produced in the digestive tract. But this is where it really gets interesting, is that the digestive tract has up to 600 million neurons, nerve cells. If I were to dissect, I'd take a small animal like a rat, dissect it, take its brain out, all nerves in the body, the digestive tract, you'd only basically get around 200 million nerve cells. What I'm saying is that the digestive tract is three times more intelligent than a small animal. And a rat's a smart animal, I have to, I have to say. Yeah, they are actually. Yeah. The digestive tract is also our master immunity regulator. So here I'm getting back to inflammation. Remember, depression, root cause, inflammation, digestive tract, master immune regulator. 70% of our immune system actually resides 
in the digestive tract. 80% of the, the, the crucial white blood cells that are responsible for our protection and our survival are found in the digestive tract. The most, my, one of the most interesting relationships that always is, is uh, that, that, that has really struck a chord with me over the years is the bidirectional relationship between the brain and the gut. So you have both, both of them, interestingly enough, actually origin, their orig, origin is, is from the same, you know, tissue structure. It's called a neural crest. And as we develop in utero, it separates and one becomes a brain, one becomes a gut. So it's actually fundamentally the same tissue. So you really are what you eat. <laughs> in, a, in a sense, very, yes. But there's a strong bidirectional communication. There's this constant information sharing between the brain and the gut. But here's the interesting thing is that the vast amount of information is from the gut to the brain. The gut is completely independent from the brain. It could function without the brain. The brain cannot function without the gut. And if you, if you actually take images you know, and put them side by side of the gut and the brain, they almost look identical from the outside, certainly. Um, they also have remarkable similarities, and the similarities are, are based on protective barriers and chemicals that drive them. In terms of chemicals that drive them and protective barriers, the, bra- the, the brain has something called the blood-brain barrier. So anything that's toxic and noxious in the bloodstream, you have this protective lining that stops it from getting in the brain and damaging the brain. That's brilliant. The gut has something called the gut immune barrier. So anything that's toxic and harmful and um, could disturb our equilibrium in our diet, in the food that we're eating, is protected and, and filtered out by mm. this amazing barrier. Well, think of food poisoning. Is that what you're talking about? Certainly. Like, well, that's, away, that's over and above. Yeah, that's something slight, slightly different. It's, okay. more path, it's, it's more chemicals and toxins that okay. could enter the bloodstream. Um, food poisoning doesn't quite uh, enter the bloodstream. This being said, if there's any corruption to the gut immune barrier, so if we eat gluten, it opens up this barrier, you know, so bread and rye and spelt and barley and oats, it's going to open up this barrier. And if this barrier opens up, you're letting, one, fecal matter into the bloodstream, to put it simply, bacteria into the bloodstream, food particles into the blood, possibly chemicals into the bloodstream. That's causing enormous immune reactions. But what it's also going to do is if the gut immune barrier opens up, the blood-brain barrier will also open. They are completely interconnected. And it's always the gut immune barrier that gets corrupted first. So what we eat determines the integrity of the protective layer or influence over the brain. Okay, so just to be clear, you are a no-gluten kind of guy. I'm a limited-gluten kind of guy. No gluten's dramatic. Okay. Certainly limited gluten, and it's for this reason, because gluten triggers the release of a particular protein called zonulin, and zonulin then opens up some certain junction called tight junctions in the digestive tract, and it actually opens up um, the intestinal walls and creates a permeability where you, things that are not designed to be in the bloodstream get in the bloodstream, causing major havoc. And this is why a lot of people with inflammatory conditions should not be eating gluten because of that um, uh, manifestation or that outcome. Gosh. But let me talk about chemicals, neurotransmitters, chemicals that carry signals from one nerve cell to, other, to another. So the body has around 72 kilometers of nerves. And all of these nerves in the peripheral body, you know, arms and legs and, and so on, require two chemical triggers, neurotransmitters, acetylcholine and norepinephrine, in order to form a full functionality. The gut and the brain, completely separate entities. They require countless neurochemicals. In fact, the gut requires 40 different neurochemicals 
in order to function, which is very similar to the brain. The gut can't function without this, this chemical mix-up or mash-up. But this is where it gets really important, and this is where it becomes very relevant, is that the gut uses chemicals, neurochemicals to function, but it is the major neurochemical production line. In fact, 90% of the body's serotonin and 50% of the body's dopamine are housed and produced in the digestive tract. If I were to take the collective effect of what serotonin and, and dopamine do for us, they affect our attention and focus, they result in improved problem solving, they affect our learning, our memory, our sleep, and our mood. So from an emotional standpoint and from an intellectual standpoint, you can't survive without dopamine and serotonin. And serotonin deficiencies are at the heart of depressive states. What caused that is, is another story. But certainly serotonin issues, not necessarily always deficiency, sometimes uh, over, you know, excessive serotonin, sometimes de uh, depreciation of serotonin could manifest in that state. But not only that, controlled movement, the way our muscles contract, how our bone is metabolized, the way our nerve cells function, tissue repair, proper cardiovascular function is all determined by dopamine and serotonin. 90% of our serotonin is produced in the digestive tract. 50% of our body's dopamine is produced in our digestive tract. So here we're seeing a cognitive, behavioral, a physical actualization from these two neurochemicals, which are, are fundamentally based, produced, housed, um, and transported from the digestive tract. And if I were to summarize it, that is potential. We're looking at three major facets. Now, you would think that the production line of something so important is under our control. No, but you're going to tell us in a minute whose <laughs> control it really is under because uh, I want to tell you that I'm speaking to Richard Sutton. He is a neurovascular practitioner. He has worked with some of the world's best athletes. And, um, yeah, if you've got any questions, if you've got a comment, join the conversation, although it's not much of a conversation because he's, you, I just want to listen to you. I feel like I haven't really got anything to say. I just, I'm kind of just absorbing all the information. But, uh, yeah, give us a you know, send us a message either on uh, the studio line, 34519. That's a text line. Those texts are charged at 1 Rand 50. You can also send us a telegram on 061-895-1019. Or you can uh, send an email from anywhere in the world on air at highfm.com. My guest is Richard Sutton. We're talking about the health choices that shape our future. We'll be back in a minute. Medical Monday is proudly brought to you with the compliments of Discam. Pharmacists who care. Thank you so much uh, to Diskim for this Diskim Medical Monday, and thank you to you for uh, for tuning in and for staying tuned. Actually, to one hundred one point nine High FM. My name is Kathy Kayla, and I'm speaking to Richard Sutton. Richard is a member of the International Association of Healthcare Professionals. He's a clinically trained neurovascular practitioner, and he's got a background in biokinesiology, meaning that he works with live energies around the body. Uh, he has he has managed some of the world's biggest and most successful sports teams. He's been sports director uh, for the Chinese team for the Beijing Olympics. He has been, get to his website, you can go and check out his series and go and see who he's worked with. Although you said that it needs an update. Uh, a serious update. I didn't see Karen Anderson there, so it does need an update. It does update. need an update, yes. Yeah, you said he's been a client for uh, he, the last he, year. Yeah, he will, he will. He's just not in the top five in on, on the site, and now he is uh, a top five tennis player. So Yeah, 100%. Okay, so uh, his website is suttonhealth.co.za. We're talking about the health choices that shape our future. So what Richard is explaining now is that there are 
a lot of different, you know, he actually started making a case saying all of these conditions, disorders are all on the increase. Inflammation, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, depression, ADHD, and there are four drivers that drive this neurolog- these uh, neurological disorders. Um, one is diet, two is exercise, three is your environmental stress, and four is the general aging process. Did I get that right? Very close. Very, I'm, so, I'm going to give you the pass. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so what, uh, what Richard is doing now is he's just going through um, what actually happens physiologically in your body with different things. So he said that there's this tremendous connection between the brain and the gut. So your gut being your intestine, right? Think about it. If you picture both of them, they do actually look very, very similar um, from the outside. But not only that, they're actually manufactured um, when you're still a tiny little fetus from the same tissue. And the relationship between the two, they work very, very closely throughout your life. Um, okay. Tremendous symbiosis. So where we, where we got to um, just before the break was the fact that um, dopamine and serotonin, these, these powerful neurochemicals that determine our functionality, behavioral, intellectual, physical, uh, our overall potential are produced in the digestive tract and housed in the digestive tract. Um, yet I was saying that something so vital to our functionality is not regulated by our own bodies. It's actually regulated by an external element, and that external element is gut bacteria. They determine the degree of serotonin production that it takes place in certain cells called enterochromaffin cells in the digestive tract. And there was a very interesting article in the journal Cell a couple of years ago, and it looked at what would happen if you remove the bacterial colonies from the digestive tract to serotonin levels. And what they found was there was a 60% drop in serotonin production based on the removal of these bacterial colonies. Mm-hmm. Now, how do you remove them? Antibiotics, cortisone, Nexium and a whole host of other medication can all contribute to their demise. But a 60% reduction in serotonin production in response to the removal of these bacterial colonies that reside in the gut. But here's where the study was profound, in that if you recolonize these bacterial species within the digestive tract, your serotonin levels will completely normalize. Very positive. Say that again. So if if you you restore normal functionality, normal colonies, normal levels, normal diversity in the digestive tract, serotonin levels will completely stabilize. Always. In almost every instance. That's according to the study that was published in the journal Cell about three years ago. But the interesting thing about these bacterial colonies is they have a profound influence on serotonin and dopamine, but they also have an influence on four other major chemicals that drive brain function. And those chemicals are known as GABA gamma aminobutyric acid, uh, a molecule called brain-derived neurotrophic factor, which I'll get into a little bit later, glutamate and norepinephrine. So if I look at them independently and say, okay, what is GABA, you know, this complicated name, what does GABA do for me? It calms the brain. So if you want to create balance in your life, your GABA levels have to be normalized and the bacterial colonies that result in the gut normalize GABA. Glutamine, what does it do? Cognition, learning, memory, that's what this particular chemical does. Brain-derived neurotrophic factor is a powerful molecule that determines the structure and functionality of our brain. The more we have of it, the better our brain works and the more protected our brain is from adverse environmental influences. And then norepinephrine is responsible for memory, focus, and attention. And if I take those four chemicals, forget serotonin, forget dopamine, I'll take those four chemicals off 
or neurochemicals off the table, this is what you're going to experience. ADHD, brain disorders, behavioral deficits, possibly epilepsy or seizures, neurological diseases, depression, blood pressure irregularities, anxiety and cognitive dysfunction, just from those four elements. The bacterial colonies are a driving force in the production and stabilization of those molecules. Incredible. We destroy them, we destroy our brain's integrity. Okay, so Gimple the Fool wants to know. Thanks. Morning, Gimple. Uh, thanks so much for the wishes. He says, uh, how do you colonize them? There so we that's, go. That's, that's the whole message of today's show. Is it's about awareness and solutions. And I'm going to get into exactly what to do and how to recolonize uh, the gut's a little bit later in about 10 minutes. So if you just stay okay. tuned, it's, I'll, I'll okay. have all the answers. It's coming, Gimple. It's coming. So there's another important factor that uh, or feature that these bacterial colonies are responsible for and or involved in, and that is immune system regulation. The development and the maturation and function of our immune cells is almost exclusively determined by these bacterial colonies. Remember, our immune system is at the heart of major, major dis- – I mean, well over 80 disorders are linked to immune system dysfunction, well over. I actually don't think you can even put a, a number on it anymore. Their numbers are so numerous, they also provide another defense. They form a physical barrier. So if, you've got, if you're ingesting pathogenic bacterial species, fung, fungi, viruses, they often get trapped in the bacterial layers that reside in the gut. It forms this protective barrier. So their, their role in our health from an immune perspective and a, a neurochemical perspective is, is absolutely invaluable. And these bacterial colonies are actually referred to as the microbiome. But the microbiome is not just about bacterial colonies. We don't just have bacterial colonies in the digestive tract. We have bacterial colonies on our skin, in our lungs, in our nose, mouth. Uh, we have it in the urogenital tract. And they all have a functional role. They're all there to protect us because if they protect us, they protect themselves. Isn't that an amazing, it's this amazing ulti- concept? It's this ultimate symbiosis. And there's some fascinating facts about the, the microbiome. So we have 10,000 different bacterial species living on us. If we go and wash our hands with the bacteria, antibacterial soap, we're not, we're not spot a bother. We're going to remove some of them. Um, and but, we, we, but we have to because… Possibly, sometimes. Hygiene. Certainly. I mean, does it have to be antibacterial? Sometimes, sometimes not. But 10,000 microbial species living on us have this amazing symbiosis uh, with, with us being the host. Uh, we, in fact, they're so numerous that they outnumber ourselves 10 to 1 and make up 3% of our body weight. The gut itself has around 700 to 1,000 different types of species of bacteria. At least 90% of them confer benefit to us in ways we're only beginning now to understand. But there's, so, there's something that's, that's very rare. You, you were telling me you know, a little bit earlier about this communication between the vagus nerve and, and the gut and the brain, and, and, and very much so. The bacterial colonies, the microbiome in the digestive tract, actually communicates directly with the brain. Its role is so important, the brain has got a direct communication link. One is through the vagus nerve, two is through hormonal challenge and th- channels, and three is through immune pathways. There's this enormous bidirectional relationship. Another very interesting fact, I don't know if it's relevant or not, but the brain weight and the microbiome weight within the digestive tract are equal. So if the brain weighs 1.4 kilograms, 1.4 kilograms of bacterial species within the digestive tract. If the brain is slightly smaller, slightly lower. Really? There's this in- Hold on. The, 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 the gut weighs the same as the brain? Or the, bacterial the bacterial colonies, colonies that colonies. reside in the gut weigh this, have the same weight as our brains. And they have this direct communication channel. You know that we have That's 78 amazing. organs in the human body? The microbiome, these bacterial colonies that live on us, in us, with us, are considered the 79th organ. Their influence is so powerful. 
But for me, what really stands out, I mean, I've talked about some amazing roles, amazing functions that they have, but what really stands out for me is the role that they play in our genetic integrity. If I were to take a grain of wheat and I would say, okay, we're going to break it down into genetic components, you'd extract about 150 genes, 150,000 genes, correction, from a, a, a grain of wheat. If I were to take human DNA, break it down, get about 22,000, 24,000, 25,000. Really? I would have thought that it would be much more. We're far more complicated than a grain of wheat, I can assure you. Yeah. So the, a big question to scientists is what's happening here? Where is this disparity? You know, how come we've got 22, 24,000 genes? Granted, we've got 150,000 genes. And the answer lies with the fact that we borrow genetic material from our microbiome. They have 8 million genes, and we need their genes in order to function. We cannot function without the genetic material. That is a beautiful story, Richard. <laughs> and, and what are we doing to it? What are we doing to these amazing colonies? that We have, give them antibiotics. We give them antibiotics. We destroy them um, through a variety of different practices. Um, and we've got to take, we, we certainly have to take uh, a, a different view on this because when we destroy them, we destroy our, the integrity of our brains. We affect our immune system. Well, we affect our genetic profound. material. We, we affect everything. Everything in terms of our functionality is, is compromised if we don't nurture this environment. And if, if I were to say, what is microbiome pathology presented? How, how would I diagnose my microbiome pathology? Digestive issues, ADHD. Insomnia, diabetes, chronic fatigue, frequent colds and flus, depression, carbohydrate cravings, sugar cravings, issues with memory, learning, concentration, anxiety issues, menstrual irregularities, asthma, allergies, intestinal disorders like Crohn's, celiac, IBS, and joint inflammation. That's the overview of what can happen if the microbiome is compromised. But there is a resounding theme, a common theme, a connection and the connection with all of those different conditions is all res a result of neurotransmitter imbalance or immune system dysfunction. And now one has to say, what are the big triggers? How, how are we destroying? If we've mentioned antibiotic, we've mentioned cortisone, but those are just small components in a larger whole. How are we destroying our microbiome? Well, first, before we do that, can I ask you, where do we get our first microbiome? Do we get it from our mother? We, if it's a in natural Utah. birth, we, <clears throat> we inherit her microbiome. And what, what's the most interesting or fascinating thing is that about two weeks before the natural birth, there's a recolonization of the vaginal canal with different species of bacteria that have never been there before. And we have the birth, the child's immersed in it, bathed in it, swallows it, and all of a sudden it's got this a fully functional microbiome. It's miraculous, the way that you're explaining this. C-sections, a little bit different. Okay, so, yeah. uh, I mean, our, our son was, was born C-section for whatever reason, and uh, their microbiomes have to be re-educated, and a lot of their microbiome might come from skin bacterial species, and which is not ideal. So breast milk is a, is, a, is a big or very positive influence in microbiome integrity, as well as other factors such as uh, food choices and exposure to dirt and dust and, and all the positive Playing things in that, the that kids, uh, kids expose do. themselves to. Yes. Right. Everything that you give a one-year-old, they put in their mouth. Oh, Absolutely. Exactly. it's been on the floor exactly. or not. And that's, and that's fundamental to the functionality of their microbiome and their overall health in the future. Mm. You know, and so to sterilize everything is an absolute disaster. But, you know, if, if you're an adult, where, where's the, the primary trigger in, in microbiome compromise? It's actually stress. And I'm going to tell you why. It's because what happens when we get stressed is we have a reduction in blood supply to the extent of 400% in the digestive tract. 
the movements of the intestines compromise dramatically. They stop moving. Adrenaline will stop the, the intestinal tract from its normal functional behaviors. You have lowered regional defenses in the digestive tract. You're looking at disturbed um, secretion of enzymes, which help with digestion. You're looking at altered composition of bacterial colonies in response to stress hormones and it's their effect on the, the gut, which is all, you know, nine meters. So stress is a big trigger. And one has, I've written a book on the topic. It's called The Stress Code. And it's, it really addresses as to how to become resilient under these conditions. We are, we're going to have, according to a Yale study, we're going to have five, six stresses every single week. So we can't avoid stress, and we don't want to avoid stress because stress is potential at the end of the day. You know, it's, it's our greatest accomplishments in life are, are born from periods of crisis. So it's not, stress is not something you necessarily want to avoid. Well, there's good stress and there's bad stress. The difference is time. So good stress is something that we can keep short. Bad stress is something that just keeps going and going and going and eventually wears us down. Yeah. So stress is a big factor in microbiome um, compromise and resilience is key. And my book will already cover the A to Z of, of managing stress. We'll do a talk on it in the future, please, God. Soon. Soon. When you're back. <laughs> <laughs> so what are the other key risk factors? Cortisone. Who's not on cortisone these days? You know, like inflammatory disorders are, are very prevalent. Cortisone. Lots of people on cortisone. A lot of cortisones. people on cortisone, yeah. Wow. Uh, reflux medications. I mean, stress is a big trigger in reflux. Reflux medications are very prevalent. Uh, having your appendix removed. Sometimes you have to have it removed. The appendix is actually the incubator for the microbiome. All the bacterial species that live in the gut actually come from the appendix. That's where they're born and they thrive and, and so on. <laughs> Birth by C-section is also a bit of a trigger. And antibiotic use is, is probably one of the larger triggers. In fact, there was actually a, a recent study um, that looked at the implications of taking a broad-spectrum antibiotic on the microbiome. And what they found was that a single course will lower the abundance, richness, diversity, and evenness of the gut microbiome to the extent of 30%, which can take over a year to recover. Now, who only takes one course of antibiotics in a year? Most people take several. So if we're looking at a 30% reduction per course, I mean, that's quite significant. I mean, you're almost left with, with just a few species just holding on for dear life. Do pharmacists still give, uh, um, you know, those, what's the interflora? Yeah, probiotics. Probiotics yeah. When, you, when you take a… Uh, Most certainly, yes. Um, but you have to understand that we have 500 different species of, of you know, uh, positive conferring bacteria in the digestive tract. Mm. And when you take probiotic, you're having two sometimes sometimes a little bit more. So I'm going to get to how to take probiotics and, and, and the value of probiotics uh, in, in just a bit. But you have to consider that in the last 10 years, there's been a 36% rise in the use of antibiotics. And South Africa is at the forefront of this rise in antibiotic use. So uh, it, it's having devastating effects on on you know, our microbiomes. And, and possibly there might be a correlation between the increased prevalence of immune disorders and neurological disorders that have become so abundant, um, you know, in society today. This being said, you know, take stress out the equation, antibiotic use, cortisone, reflux, medication, C-section, having your appendix removed. Take that out of the equation. According to a Canadian study, the major influence on the microbiome is diet. So 60, well, make sense. 60% of structural changes in the gut are determined by what you eat. So you eat well, you're going to have an amazing microbiome. You don't eat well, unfortunately, you're going to kill off these vital bacteria that, that are responsible for our entire potential and functionality. And the most amazing thing is we have control over that. 
And I want to keep it simple. Like, what do you need to do and what do you need to avoid? Before, before we get there, can I just ask you, will, these, uh, will the microbiome regenerate on its own if we are off antibiotics for long enough? I don't. I, I certainly think that it, it has a regenerative potential, but I don't think a full restoration is likely unless you nurture the environment and you create almost a recovery package for it. Okay, perfect. Okay, so how do we do so that? So keeping it simple from a dietary perspective, sugar, disaster on the microbiome, saturated My fats. My microbiome loves <laughs> sugar. That's what you think. <laughs> so sugar, disaster, saturated fat, disaster, excess carbohydrates don't work well with the microbiome. In fact, they'll increase the growth of pathogenic species of bacteria. You'll have an altered species profile of the micro microbiome, low diversity in numbers of good bacteria. What's this, this carbohydrate? High carbohydrate high diet, carbohydrate. high starch diet, high sugar diets, high saturated fat diets. I'm basically describing My the, diet. West, the Western diet. <laughs> okay. Thank you. <laughs> Conversely, keeping it simple, is that if you put more fiber in your diet, you consume omega-3 fatty acids, you consume complex carbohydrates and protein, all of a sudden you've got the recovery package. You've got an environment where the microbiome thrives, develops, is maintained intact. But if you have got a compromised microbiome, like all of us do, um, because of our lifestyle habits, because of society, you have to consider the probiotic and prebiotic route. So basically, you've got a couple of options. Probiotics is basically in the, the practice of introducing species into the digestive tract in order to res restore their, their functionality and colonies and diversity and species profile. And prebiotics is the food that they need. So it's basically put in new species of bacteria and feed them. Now, you've got a couple of options with probiotics. You can supplement or you can eat fermented foods. And if you look at societies... Like yogurts, it's true. Yeah, historic, you know, Koreans, kimchi, uh, Japanese miso, Chinese miso, uh, European sauerkrauts, yogurt, kefir. You know, fermented foods have been part and parcel of, our, of the human diet for, for centuries. Um, and it's certainly not going to change. And that is a, a great option. Kombucha is another fermented food. But my, my personal position on this, because there's so many different species, is that you should be doing both, supplementing and consuming fermented foods. And you also have to understand that different species have different roles. Um, not all species do the same thing. So there's certain species that will improve digestive health. If you're taking probiotics of a certain range or a certain species profile, you're looking at reduced digestive issues, control over diarrhea, improved nutrient absorption, promoting of, of the digestion of dairy products, carbohydrates, fats, and proteins, maintenance of the gut wall, reduced bloating. The species that do that exclusively. If you've got immune issues and inflammation issues, they're not going to have a major bearing on that. Other species have the ability to control our immune system, promote better immunity, stabilize blood clotting, lower cholesterol levels, increase the expressions of key molecules that are responsible for brain function as well as remove pathogens. One has to have a very broad and balanced supplementation routine. And I'm going to tell you like how to do that. Simply put, the five core species. Now, I'm going to repeat it twice. Can you buy these? And you can, can buy these. You can, can go you to overdose? Discount. Can you overdose on probiotics and prebiotics? Yes. I, I think that it's unnecessary. Well, you can waste your money, certainly. You, you don't need to take more than is, is recommended normally on the bottle or, or slightly more than that. So I, I don't think it's a good idea to take anything in excess. 
Um, so overdose, yes, very much it is possible. But there are five core species. Keeping it simple again, five core species, if they're in your product, you know that you've, you've got a product that is going to make a difference in your life from an immune perspective, from an immune perspective, neurochemical perspective, and digestive perspective. And these species are Lactobacillus plantarum. I'll repeat that again. Lactobacillus plantarum. Lactobacillus brevis. Lactobacillus brevis. Again, I repeat. Lactobacillus acidophilus. That's a funny one, right? <laughs> Lactobacillus. Lactobacillus acidophilus, another repeat there. And then we've got Bifidobacterium longum and Bifidobacterium lactis. So Bifidobacterium longum and Bifidobacterium lactis. These five core species, I'll put it up on my Instagram a little bit later, just a, a bit of an infographic on that. These are the core species you go to Discam or you go to wherever you buy your probiotics and make sure these are on the bottle, at least four of the five. Okay, so what was the, the one after longum, Bifidobacterium? It's Bifidobacterium lactis. So if those core species are in the product, you know that you're going to have a broad spectrum, uh, broad, uh, spectrum protection. But the issue is that it's a big industry. You have to understand that probiotics are big money at the moment. I mean, in fact, the industry is, is valued at $34 million annually. And it's hard to know what to choose. So there was so very. You're going to give us some names. Oh, uh, names I can't. <laughs> but I'm going to give you some some suggestions. Okay. Okay. So there was a very interesting study, and it was published in the South African Medical Journal a few years ago. And it, it took nine products off the shelf. It said, okay, well, what's in these products? And what it what it did was assess these products for you know the, the quality, the numbers, and so on. And what they found was that 33% of the products that they pulled off the shelves did not contain the bacteria that they said they had on the label. No. No, that's a that's a disaster. 45% of the products that pulled off the shelf did not contain enough probiotics to have any effect. And what's most concerning is that 25% of the products contained bacterial species that are bad for you, that are pathogenic. And this is, this is, uh, this is what's concerning is because everyone's now producing a probiotic. I'll get into how to, how to choose, but, but don't, don't like be disillusioned by the South African market because it's a global trend. I mean, there was a European study, 72 samples, 87% of the 72 samples did not conform to guidelines. Why uh, US, is this not regulated? I'm sure in time Like other medications are. Oh. Uh, it has to be in time. I mean, you get medical-grade probiotics. Um, again, I'm going to talk about solutions and, and what you need to do in, in like literally a minute. U.S. study, 13 products were assessed. Only 69%. Oh, no, sorry. 69% of them were not in accordance to regulations and guidelines and standards. So what is the solution? When buying a product, make sure that the manufacturer – provides a quality assurance that you can get hold of them and you can get assurances from the manufacturer. It's preferably third-party tested. Let me tell you something. If it's third-party tested, they're going to advertise it on the bottle. And choose a reputable company, a company that's been around forever. If a company just suddenly pops up out of nowhere, be wary. I'm not saying that it's not going to have a great product, but just be wary, be cautious. One also has to consider that if you stop taking probiotics within two weeks of ceasing probiotics, you're going to have issues. Okay, so it, it, you start seeing a decline in the yeah. functionality of all these systems that are enhanced. So my suggestion, a lot of people think, well, I took an antibiotic. I'm going to take a month of probiotics. Take probiotics as a regular feature. You brush your teeth every day. If you don't brush your teeth, you're going to lose them. Take probiotics on a regular basis because our diets have changed so radically. But it's one thing to reintroduce species. We then also got to feed them. And what do they want? They want two meals a day. No, they want sugar and they want chips. <laughs> Only the bad species of bacteria <laughs> want sugar and chips. The good species want two meals a day and about 12 grams of fiber a day. So the really good foods for, for our microbiome are things like lentils, chickpeas, peas, even gluten. Hummus. They, 
Kumis for the microbiome. Unbelievable. Positive. What a positive. Oats, gluten-free oats, certainly very positive feature in the microbiome, very high in prebiotics. Garlic, onion, leeks, cabbage, asparagus, beetroot, fennel, artichokes, high in prebiotics. The food, the fibers that the microbiome requires in order to thrive and survive. Then fruits, bananas, dates, apples, figs, honeys and ca- honey and cashews, also very high um, in, in prebiotics. Those are long lists. Are there any you shouldn't? You should No, the fundamentals are very simple. High sugar diet, pathogenic species thrive. Yeah. The, 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 the bacterial species that promotes functionality within the context of our health eat fiber. Right. We feed them fiber, they're going to thrive. Any fibrous vegetable, it's microbiome food. Anything that's been removed or stripped of fiber, disaster. Okay, because only recent species of bacteria, more pathogenic, non-benefit conferring species, actually live on those sugars. Rich, I need to get to some of these messages that sure, are coming sure. through. Um, do probiotics not disturb our own unique natural biome? Great question, Einstein. Thank you very uh, amazing, much. Amazing question. Um, and I, on the most part, definitely not. So our microbiome is very complex. Remember, we have 700,000 species by the introduction of five or six species. It's a big library. Is, is, is certainly not going to have a, a major. In, in terms of the literature, I haven't seen studies saying that it has a disruptive effect on a microbiome. Okay. Thank you so much for that. Uh, also, Unsigned says, does Richard consult with patients privately? I do, but uh, at the moment I'm running on a very, very long waiting list. Um, so it's it's going to take months to yeah, to because years. Our last conversation was that you don't take yeah, new clients yeah. at all. So so it, it's 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 not. I, I would basically say um, I don't take on new patients uh, in a private capacity at the moment. You know what? Get to his website at SuttonHealth.co.za. Uh, you'll be also be able to access all the podcasts, his writings, and articles, and everything. And just hack him, sending him an email every day. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a way forward. <laughs> you know how we are. Yeah. <laughs> just say hi. <laughs> Any room to see me today? So, um, Richard, that's incredible. Just in a nutshell, in a nutshell, yeah. um, some of the world's most prevalent uh, diseases and disorders are based on inflammation. Or caused by inflammation. Certainly have, a, have their roots in inflammation. Yep. Um, the drivers for this. Okay, so you're talking about conditions like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's, depression, ADHD. Um, the drivers neurologically are diet, exercise, environmental stress, and the aging process. So, uh, yeah, a lack of exercise, a lack of activity. Yeah. Um, basically, what the theme has been is that the brain is the most compromised region of the human body. Um, the digestive tract has a profound influence, as do other features, environmental. Sure. Um, the focus today was really on the role of the digestive tract in maintaining the functionality of our most precious, precious resource, and that is our brain. Amazing. There are certain um, – okay, so we've got this, this – in this gut, in our gut we have uh, a biome, right, which is made up of millions of different uh, bacteria. Uh, but there are certain factors that will compromise those uh, bacteria. One is stress, the use of cortisone, reflux medication, so that you're looking at Nexiums and all of those, right? Um, if you've had your appendix removed, 
birth by C-section and antibiotics. That is what will compromise. Some of the big drivers, but diet being the biggest of all the drivers, problems with diet, the foods that we typically crave and want, especially when we're stressed. Um, those are the foods that what, compromise. Exactly what we know is comfort foods. Exactly. exactly. And those are the foods that compromise. It's counterintuitive. I know. So, so many, in terms of health management, so many of our habits and behaviors are counterintuitive. You know, uh, for example, um, when you get stressed, what is the natural tendency? Oh, you want a glass of wine at the end of the day. Or, you know, you've had a tough day. You just want to unwind. Worst thing you could do. Really? Worst thing. It amplifies the stress response. But it's it good for your heart. Oh. <laughs> it amplifies the stress response. So more adrenaline is produced um, through the consumption of alcohol. More cortisol is produced through the consumption. In fact, just to, I mean, we have to do a, a show on this, but for every unit of alcohol that you consume within a week, there's a th- 3% rise in cortisol levels. So if I have a double whiskey um, last night, 6% rise in cortisol this week. Two double whiskey is 12%. And what's so interesting is, is cortisol inhibits serotonin and dopamine production. So cortisol, it? very, very much so. That's uh, well remembered. Or, well, that's excellent input because very much so is that um, cortisol, uh, there's this amazing molecule in the brain called brain-derived neurotrophic factor. It's responsible for every element of our functionality of the brain. And cortisol inhibits the production of this protein. So it's a compromise our brain. Cortisol inhibits serotonin production, dopamine production, growth hormone production. It affects clock genes. So cortisol, cortisol is an absolute disaster when not used at the right time of the day. In the morning, we need cortisol. We thrive on cortisol. In the afternoon, it's got to come off. I could Otherwise, talk to you for the rest of the day. <laughs> well, we'll have to do more shows. But, but certainly, um, you know, there's a lot to this. It's, it's, we've, we've simplified it, but it's complex. The truth is complex yeah. is all I have to say. It's not a soundbite. In 60 seconds or less, can you tell me about your book? Yes. So I've just, Where I've do just, I get it? So at the moment, it's just on, on Amazon. Um, it should be launched uh, in major retailers in the next three to four weeks. It's called The Stress Code. Um, it's basically the A to Z of stress resilience. gives you full perspective into good stress, bad stress, uh, where you're on a continuum, how to manage anxiety, how to manage depression, how to, how to reduce fatigue, how to thrive under pressure. That's what the book's about. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to having it in bookstores. I'm just wait, <laughs> wait, waiting on a few factors from overseas, whether I can launch it now or have to hold it a little bit longer. Richard Sutton, always a pleasure speaking to you. I feel like I could talk to you the whole day because you are absolutely fascinating. You are knowledgeable in what you do. And uh, thank you very, very much for sharing your wealth of knowledge with me and uh, with my listeners. And to you, thank you so much for uh, for joining me. If you want more details on Richard, get to, go check out his website at suttonhealth.co.za, S-U-T-T-O-N, health.co.za. And you can also see his CVs, his bios, who he's worked with, although he says it does need an update. And uh, thank you very, very much. Thank you so much to Craig. Ros Bass is up next. God bless. Bye-bye. Medical Monday is proudly brought to you with the compliments of Discam, pharmacists who care.